Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Now You've Seen It, this podcast that endeavors to fill the holes in your essential movie viewing history. My name is Sean, and I'm your host for today's episode. And joining me today, our first panelist is our red stand-up comedian and podcast socialite, Alice. Alice, how are you today? Hey, I'm, I'm good. How are you? Good. Rushed home from work just in time to join us. We really appreciate the effort. Of course, of course. All right, and our second panelist is a musician, photographer, and logo designer extraordinaire of our own logo for Now You've Seen It. It's Peter. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. We finally got some snow, and it's feeling a little bit like winter. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, we got a little bit of snow the past two days here in Binghamton, New York, and uh, this morning I woke up and went outside at 7.30, and it was 12 degrees out, and I thought, I am not ready for this. Yeah, a little bit of, of of fate or something. They picked up my snowblower yesterday to service it for the year, and that was during the big snow. But luckily, they got it was one day turnaround. So anyway, That's, I'm all set. All right. What a weird time in January. <laughs> like, all right, that's it now. Well, you know, nothing <laughs> like leaving things to the very last minute. Right. Well, <laughs> they, they, they usually send out a flyer. They forgot to send out a flyer this year. So. Oh my god. Gotcha. All right. Well, joining the three of us today is our guest. He is a podcaster from the Sci-Fi Roundtable and the podcast When Wrestlers Act, which I need to know more about. Uh, he's oh. also an author. His he is John Cronshaw. Welcome to the show, John. Great to be back. I mean, this must be what episode seven hundred we've been doing of these every day. So. It, it <laughs> seems that way. Yeah, it seems like we've been doing this episode over and over again. Uh, all right. So, John, tell me a little bit about When Wrestlers Act. I'm curious, what what, what do you guys cover on there? Um, basically, what it says, we <laughs> review movies and TV shows starring wrestlers. And this can be, you know, Hulk Hogan we did in Santa with Muscles last Christmas. That was a classic. Um, <laughs> we watch, we're currently watching through Glow, which is a Netflix series. We've done things like, um, what was it? Brett the Hitman Hart in the Honey I Shrunk the Kids TV series. So, you know, it's oh, wow. classic stuff. <laughs> Let's just say. <laughs> Highbrow um, cinema, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think we've got one of the most unique film rating things in the whole of podcasting, which is the Bristol Stool Chart, which have a look at that. That is how you tell what kind of consistency your poo is. And um, so we, we basically rate things using that scale which we find works very well for all the poop that we watch. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, uh, do, do you have a favorite wrestler actor? It's got to be Randy Roddy Piper. Um, he was actually a trained actor, so he was great in everything we watched him in, apart from Hell Comes to Frogtown, which, was, which wasn't his fault, let's say. The film was <laughs> terrible. So, <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to be covering a movie, in case you haven't, caught it from the hints of how many times we've been doing this podcast uh we're going to be covering groundhog day and john this is your first time seeing groundhog day how is it that you missed this movie when it came out um to be honest i think it is because i have been a book geek and a musician in my teenage years i was a musician playing in bands and things like that so i didn't really watch many films um, so this was night. What, what was this? Ninety three came out. So that was me eleven. So that would have come out probably on video a year or two later. So I was, you know, in my friend's attic playing guitar and being all moody. So 
No, we wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't have watched this at all. So. All you needed to say was you're out of the loop. I mean, come on. <laughs> hey. Hey. All right. Just right. watch the stand-up comic. <laughs> all right, so we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills, and we'll be right back to talk about Groundhog Day. Hey, Michelle. Yeah. Let's get this uh, promo recorded before the kids run in. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> hey, everybody. This is Dino. And Michelle. And we're here with our podcast. We've had a few small changes, but we're still here giving you talk about film, faith, family, TV, TV, whatever we feel like talking about. And what do we say? <laughs> Be decent to each other. All right, guys. You can catch us on Spotify, Anchor, Podbean, and all your favorite podcasts. All right, and we're back. We're going to talk a little bit about the movie Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is a 1993 American fantasy comedy film directed by Harold Ramis and written by Ramis and Danny Rubin. It stars Bill Murray as Phil Connors, a TV weatherman who, during an assignment covering the annual Groundhog Day event, is caught in a time loop, repeatedly reliving the same day. Andy McDowell and Chris Elliott co-star. Now we're going to send it over to our resident movie guy to tell us a little bit more about Groundhog Day. In a world, in a world where Bill Murray is a weatherman, in a world where Bill Murray is a weatherman that is repeating the same day, in a world where Bill Murray is a weatherman that is repeating the same day over and over again. Trapped in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, Phil Connors has to figure out what he has to figure out to pass into the next level. I, I mean day. Starring Woogie from There's Something About Mary. Bing! Carrie from Four Weddings and a Funeral. Bing, bing! Dr. Peter Bankman from Ghostbusters. Bing, bing, bing! And Ned Ryerson. Bing! Harold Ramis' greatest February 2nd theme movie, Groundhog's Day. Don't podcast angry! All right, so let's get back into it with the main meat of the conversation. And John, in a nutshell, what did you think of Groundhog Day in your first viewing? I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, there was a lot in it that felt a bit dated. There were a few issues I had with the story structure. Um, that's just because whenever I watch films now, I always try and pick them apart on a story level just to help me write better stories. And it it was. I don't know. There was a lot of charm to it. I think that was that was my big takeaway is great story and yeah, just a lot of charm, a lot of fun. Great. You mentioned you noticed that the movie was kind of dated in certain areas and yeah, the, the movie definitely does show its age. Was there anything that stood out to you like a piece of old tech hanging around or just something that would be completely foreign in a movie today? John, did you did you notice anything like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, aside from the uh, Bakelite telephones with the, you know, the pigtail cords and the that analog <laughs> alarm clock, which I, I loved, I want one of those. That, that, that's a wonderful <laughs> bit of kit. It was the amount of hairspray that must have been used in this film. There were just so many big bits of hair on people's heads. It was amazing, especially Nancy. You know, the lovely Nancy who, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Phil chatted up. Yeah, he um, that she must have used like a what a body weight in hairspray a week on that haircut so yeah look at 
Yeah, I graduated high school in 1993, and most of these hairdos were were at my prom, so uh, definitely a little bit of uh, reminiscing there. Uh, Alice, how about you? Was there anything old tech-wise that stuck out to you? You know, I didn't really notice that as much. I mean, of course, the quintessential alarm clock, but I mean, I have an alarm clock in my room, I use my my phone as my alarm, though. Yeah. Um, I wake up to the same song every day. That was something that I thought about extensively after watching this. Uh, <laughs> is that I, you know, wake up to the same same stuff every day. So, you know, that was kind of really just the old tech that I saw. I'm not like a super techy person. I mean, I think I saw maybe a, a phone booth in there. Maybe I'm imagining things, but you know, yeah, basically just kind of that alarm clock and actually using it. Yeah, that's kind of funny. I, I Now you kind of make me want to set my alarm to play I Got You, Babe, every morning when oh it goes gosh, off. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> what his, is Cher, his is Cher. Mine's Lizzo. It's, you know, it's all right. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, Peter, how about you? Was there anything tech-wise that stood out to you? Well, before I get to that, when my first year in university, it was sort of a, well, this would have been 91, so it was like two years before this movie came out, my alarm went off at the same time every day. And it usually was the Northern Pikes. She ain't pretty. So maybe they, they stole the idea from me. I don't know. I can't say, <laughs> but anyway, uh, the cars, specifically the car that, uh, Phil and the two guys, including, uh, Canadian Rick Dukeman drove down the train tracks. Cause like, you never see cars like that anymore being driven. Yeah. Yeah. Like a big old, big old boat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of with you. The thing that stuck out to me is car related. But when they were stuck on the highway and you could see Phil inside, they didn't actually show it, but you could tell that he was rolling down the window with a hand crank. Wow. And I thought, wow, I haven't thought about manually rolling down a window in years. So it just immediately stuck out to me. Um, Although right. the, a, a van would be one of the last places where that would be a, a, been a thing, too. True. Yeah. Especially a work van like that. So, right. All right. Well, we're going to start off right at the beginning of the movie with a question about uh, theme songs. And this this movie has a theme song that was co-written by Harold Ramis. It's called Weatherman, and I don't know. That was, to me, one of the worst movie theme songs that, you know, kind of tell the story of the movie. Uh, I'd like to go, just go around to everybody and see, do you have a best and or worst movie theme song that tells the story of the movie? Uh, and Alice, I'll start with you this time. Do you have one? Well, I was going to say, even about that Weatherman song, I, 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 like, I, I was surprised to learn that it was made for this movie because i was listening to the theme song like wow like they they got a song about weathermen like they you know wow that must have been the popular you know what we're what of i don't know how many weathermen songs are out there but one of you know they snatched a weatherman song and put it in this movie also kind of just on the topic of of the songs in general i thought just the way that it started off like that it started off in general had this very whimsical kind of music was very strange, and then you have this sour character. Well, we'll talk about that all later. But I, I just thought, like, the music in general in this in this movie was so interesting. Okay, great. Uh, Peter, how about you? Do you have a favorite or least favorite movie theme song that tells the story of the movie kind of thing? Well, 
I, I sort of it's, it doesn't really go along with the the story of it, but I sort of like the in, the ending song of Scrooged, which is another mm-hmm. Bill Murray thing. But I think like still staying with Bill Murray, the Ghostbusters theme yeah. is pretty much telling you what happened. Yeah, movie, and and that's a good one, not a bad one. I yeah. I can't really think of a bad bad uh, movie theme yeah i had ghostbusters on my short list as well uh john how about you is there a movie theme that you feel is a great example or a terrible example of the theme song that tells the story of the movie um the theme to weird science is the one oh, that came to mind weird science horrible song oh see now i would disagree with you there i had it on there as best song because i love boingo boingo and i just i still <laughs> listen to weird science even if it's not part of the movie okay fair enough you know you know Different each their own. yeah yep. yeah absolutely. and never ending story as well is another one that that theme's great so i don't oh, know if you know yes. um, oh, even yeah even looking at like somewhere over the rainbow is just another very sweet one that i didn't think of as but of course like that says a lot about about wizard of oz for sure i know when i was looking this up um, the other day, and it, it said like a lot of those theme song movies are like, like Will Smith's like Wild Wild West, and yes. I guess Men in Black. <laughs> I don't remember. I've never seen Wild Wild West, but I feel like I did that song for like a dance recital when I was six or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, just along with Singing in the Rain, actually. But but even like I, what kind of the I guess Men in Black theme song. I'm trying to remember. But that one was, but apparently because there's a lot of those. <laughs> I, ironically, the name of the song that they sampled for it is Forget Me Not. So you forgetting what it's called is sort of <laughs> ironic. Oh, of course. Perfect. <laughs> That's it. All right. Yeah, they don't they don't seem to make movie soundtracks the way they used to. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you take a movie like A Star is Born and you've got these these great songs in there, but it's not it's not footloose it's not weird science it's not ghostbusters it's not these things yeah. that were specifically written to let's be honest market the movie yeah you know so now it's more like the the soundtrack the movie's there to market the soundtrack cuz we we've got this great new artist okay yeah we'll we'll put this this is a good song we'll go with that it has yeah. the same word as in the title of the movie people will love it we'll do that yeah, greatest, it's not so greatest much. Greatest Showman, that's got to be my favorite. Greatest Showman, that mm. soundtrack, I could listen to that forever. John, have you picked up on any soundtracks recently that you really liked or didn't like? Um, to be honest, the, the soundtracks that I've been enjoying recently have been video game ones, which probably sounds really sad, but um, there was an indie game uh-huh. a few years ago called uh, Disaster Piece. No, sorry, it was called Fez, and the soundtrack was by Disaster Piece, which is all this kind of crazy abstract music done with what sounds like um, Nintendo's from the 80s or something. And, and that soundtrack's fantastic, you know. I love, love stuff like that. So, um, yeah, no, that, that kind of thing, really. Yeah, no, that's not weird at all. Spotify has whole lists of playlists <laughs> built around uh, 8-bit music and, and video game music and things like that. So and I find right. it really good to write to. I think that's the thing. It's like, I think it's designed to help you focus. So when you're playing a video game, so when I write to that music, it, it just really helps. You know, it's it's funny when Spotify came out and did their year end thing and, you know, tells you who your most listened to artist is and everything. I was really surprised at first to realize my uh, top artist was the guy who does all the music from Game of Thrones. But 
I was reading the Game of Thrones books this past year, and I would play that music as I was yeah. reading. So I had the background music. So for me, it's been more about movie scores than soundtracks. Yeah. So, all right, let's uh, let's move on. We'll, we'll do one more uh, kind of softball question, and then we'll get into two of the bigger issue questions with this movie. Uh, but first, let's start with uh, Peter this time. Do you have a favorite Bill Murray or Andy McDowell? I, either Ghostbusters, this, or or Scrooge for Bill Murray, and this for Andy McDowell, I guess. Although, yeah, because I, I, I could say Four Weddings and a Funeral, but I, I think I've only seen that once or twice. So, yeah, this would be for Andy for here. Okay. And, John, how about you? Any uh, favorite Bill Murray or Andy McDowell roles? Oh. I had a look because I was racking my brain to try and work out what films I'd seen Andy McDowell in, yeah. and the answer is none. So, <laughs> apart from Groundhog Day, so Fair that would be the answer for that one. <laughs> um, the list I, I recognise two of the names. I think I think I recognise Green Card and Four Weddings, um, but I've not seen either. So, future episode maybe. Um, <laughs> now, my favourite Bill Murray movie by a long shot is Lost in Translation, um, just on the level of. You know, this is going from a, just a, a writing study, like in terms of subtext. Hey, do subtext in movies. Hey, do subtext in dialogue. It's masterful. So I, I love that film and the Scrooge and Ghostbusters movies as well, which are great. Great. I, I'm sure all of those movies are going to show up on this podcast eventually. <laughs> um, how, how about you, Alice? Do you have a favorite Bill Murray or Andy McDowell? Both? Yeah, I mean, for, for both of them, I had to kind of think about what what they were in, especially for Andy. You know what I had seen. It was like Selena Gomez's Monte Carlo <laughs> movie and Magic Mike XXL. So I mean, maybe Magic Mike for her. I you know I don't know. Uh, maybe Monte Carlo. I don't know. Uh, I mean Bill Murray. I I mean I guess I would say Ghostbusters. Um, I mean I I liked Moonrise Kingdom. I don't. I feel like I don't really remember him in these even in these roles. That I've seen, so I mean, I liked Moonrise Kingdom. I'm gonna assume he was good, good in that role uh, as the same person he always is. So, all right, cool. Yeah, for me, Bill Murray, it's a small role in the movie, but his performance in Zombieland when they break into his oh, yeah. mansion, it, him lying there dying, and they ask him if he has any regrets, and he says no, and then he says, "Well, maybe Garfield." Is one of the funniest. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, I had to mention Garfield. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't think I've laughed that hard at a single kind of throwaway line as I did on that one. So uh, I found that one highly enjoyable. And for Annie McDowell, I just saw her in a movie this year uh, called Ready or Not. It's about uh, a woman who's marrying into a family, and they have their they own these. Uh, this gaming company, and they have this tradition of on a wedding night they play, they draw a card, and they play a game together. And hide and seek is the uh, the game that they play, and it's with a killer twist to it. Um, and Andy McDowell plays the matriarch of the family, and she is just fantastic in it. She just every scene that she's in, your eyes are immediately drawn to her, and she is just acting up a storm in this this movie and i'm not really a big fan of horror movies myself um so this was a really pleasant surprise and, and her part in it I, I really did enjoy 
Mm-hmm. And her her daughter Margaret Qualley is a definitely a rising star. I saw her in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a I, I hated that movie. Don't at me, people. <laughs> but you know, but I mean, she's she she's she's beautiful. I mean, she definitely you know I, she definitely played that role. I don't. I mean, I, I guess well, I don't know. Um, didn't like the movie, so it's hard to kind of you know, separate, separate characters from that. But yeah, I, I, I would love to see even what she does next. All right, cool. And, uh, and just, just before we go, and mm-hmm. if for a non-comedy role for Bill Murray, that's real good is the razor's mm-hmm. edge, which was like mm-hmm. a surprise when I saw it, because I don't think there's a, a single joke in the whole movie. Yeah. It's, it's like set during world war one, I, I think. Yeah, it can be real interesting when comedians take on a dark role. Um, you know, so that that's uh I haven't seen Razor's Edge probably in thirty years. Uh, so that's here. definitely one I probably have to go back and watch again. But all right, so let's move on to a couple questions that are a little bit heavier. Um and Peter, I'm gonna start with you on this one because this was something you brought up about in your mind. How long do you think Phil is stuck in the loop? And please feel free to discuss some of the other theories that I know you've researched online as far as, you know, this one said this amount of time and this one said that amount of time. But in your head first, Peter, how how long do you think he was stuck in there? To be so proficient at the piano and ice sculpting and knowing where to be every day to catch the kid falling from the tree and having the having the the jack to change the tire for the old ladies i'm thinking the the idea that it was like 10,000 times he went through that loop is pretty spot on okay so you're saying he lived the day about 10,000 times because like with the tire you're you're right that that's an interesting thing like the the kid he just has to be there at the right time but the tire he has to go and get the jack and be at the right because he can't just stash it because it won't be there the next day, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything sort of resets. Um, what what were some of the other theories online that you saw? Usually, like someone thought it would be like three months, mm-hmm. uh, but like it it varied and it also depended on who was coming up with the idea because I don't know if we're gonna get in. Later, it, a lot of religious people see things in it, like uh, Catholics think it's like he's stuck in purgatory, mm-hmm. and this is him going. And then Buddhists think of it as like a re- constant reincarnation. With reincarnation, you if you do a good thing, you get a little, you get come back as a something a little bit better, or if you were a bad person, something a little bit worse. But it's basically him going through the motions to be coming from from the basically with a lot of things he he was doing he would be a me too guy right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. to he, now that like he was there a day and like the whole town loves him just from like a single day of working which is sort of that that might be one of the 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 weaknesses in the in the story but from like oh yes I met this guy today. He's great. He's did this, did this, did this. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm thinking ten thousand times would be probably the the best thing because they showed like him attempting suicide like maybe three or four times, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking there was a lot more than that 
before he sort of snapped out of it and decided, well, I can't kill myself. Let's let's see what else I can do type of thing other than trying to sleep with every woman in town. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually had that in my notes about how it was really interesting the way they portrayed him going through so many different emotions. There was the absolute manic emotion when he's building the snowman and the kids are throwing the snowballs and he's going, oh, I hope my kids throw snowballs at me one day. And I hope that, it, you know, he was really manic. And then in other scenes, he was just flat out depressed. And, uh, you know, so it was it, I thought they did a really good job of capturing the range of emotions of what it must be like to do this over and over again. Um, I will throw one little bit of information in there. Uh, website had figured out that it only depicts 38 days uh, are depicted. But to your point, a lot more probably took place, a lot more suicides, a lot more of everything. Um, John, being as this is your first time seeing this, did you kind of get a feeling for how long you thought he was in this? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if I'll go with 10,000 days. I mean, it might might work out similar to that. I mean, what's that, about 20-something years? I mean, I was thinking about 15 years, mm. and it was based on, well, I estimate, because he's a pianist, how long it would take to learn to play Ratmaninov's piano concerto, and uh, <laughs> he was like, yeah, probably take at least 10 years, maybe 15. Um, yeah. So that that was my, my kind of thing on that. And also, you know, the idea that he didn't just master that, he also mastered sculpting and languages and things like that. It's like he's he's obviously been there for a long time. He's he's had to take this path of I suppose self improvement and mastery and things like that. So um yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least at least a decade, I would say, maybe twenty years, something like that. Okay. Well you might be on to something. Um Harold Ramis, the director said and the one of the co-writers of it said that uh, he believed the film was stuck in there for 10 years. So you said a decade or two, and that's, that's where kind of where Harold Ramis came down on it. Uh, Alice, do you have uh, any guesses as to how long in your head canon that Phil was stuck in that loop? Yeah. I mean, I can really only think of the psychological impact of this. So I, so I I don't want to say 10 years because it's so unfathomable. I mean, this is all, you know, unfathomable, but it's it's unfathomable for 10 years. I mean, I want to say a year, but thinking of all that he had mastered and how much time did he have, I mean, of course, he could have a full day of just piano, just piano, you know, a full day of just languages, just languages, you know, and another, I mean, because I was trying to think of, like, he only has so much time to kind of put into each activity into each you know where is this going to be so i can save this person where is this going to be i mean i know that online i was reading that it maybe he was in there for six weeks kind of like the six weeks of winter sort of thing um i was (laughs) seeing that maybe he wasn't in a loop at all and everybody just elaborately is in on it um i think that my my, my wife mentioned yeah, my wife mentioned the Truman Show, actually. She said, what if it's yeah. like that? <laughs> I quite liked uh, as a theory. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the Truman Show is probably, uh, you know, sort of a spiritual successor if if everybody was doing the we're all in on it and playing this. But yeah, it, it would be interesting. I originally thought six weeks because I said, yeah, that would be perfect, poetic, you know, but Obviously, with mastering the piano, the sculpting, the languages, all the things that he did, 
Uh, I probably am with uh, with you, John, that it was probably like 10 to 20 years uh, in that range. So, all right, um, let's talk about one more kind of heavier thing, and then we'll move on to something a little lighter. Uh, Where does Phil rank among unlikable movie protagonists? And Alice, I'm going to let you start with this one because this was your question. Yeah. Normally, you're supposed to like the protagonist, and Phil is inherently unlikable in this movie. So where do you kind of see him as that unlikable movie protagonist compared to others? I mean, I'm trying to think of other unlikable protagonists that are kind of consistently (laughs) unlikable. I mean, I'm thinking of like maybe the National Lampoon, like Christmas Vacation, like that. I forgot the guy's name, but of course. Um, Clark Griswold. <laughs> thank you. Yes, Clark Griswold. Maybe, I mean, I'm trying to think who didn't have, like, necessarily a, a redemption arc, uh, in a sense. I mean, I mean, I, I think what kind of got me, though, at the end was that he sort of had to, like, because he's doing all of these nice things after he's like, oh, Rita's so nice. So I was like, okay, well, it's not like he has her around all the time. So it's not like he can be like, oh, see, see, I changed this person's tire. See, I saved them from dying, whatever. You know, it's not like he has her to, like, you know, he's, he's not showing that off every day. But then, of course, he finally gets the girl at the end, did all those nice things just to have the people come up and be like, oh, my gosh, you you know, saved my boy from a tree or whatever. I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever niceties were, were going on. And so he got the girl. So I was like, oh, so he did it just for that reason. Well, if he's going through 10 years of that, then there has to be some kindness in you, maybe, because you only get that one, sh- you know, that one day, that one shot where you get kind of people impressing your, your girl for you, I guess, if that makes sense. So I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with a protagonist here who commits suicide multiple times, is guilty of murder, kidnapping, uh, stealing, stalking. Uh, you know, he's not a likable guy in that respect. Uh, you mentioned about him going after Rita and how nice she was and everything. But in my notes, I wrote down, why does he even pursue her in the first place? He He tells her that something changed inside him the first time he saw her. But we watched the movie. I kind of saw that at first when she was like playing with the weather equipment, whatever, in front of the blue screen. That was kind of that like look in his eye, but it was like someone who couldn't act like they were into someone. You know, it was just it was just very bad acting. It was like someone told him, "Okay, you have to look at her." Like, oh, oh, I'm interested, but like he has no idea how to look like that at a woman. So <laughs> it was so like, yeah, it was, it was kind of bizarre, but yeah, she was total like opposite from him. Was she his boss too? Like <laughs> what, she was how a, inappropriate is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's a segment producer for the weather. Yeah. So technically she's an advisor. I don't, I don't know how it works, how much like power she has over him. Or if it's the other way around, if he's the celebrity and she's just there to help. She She's there to get the story done and yeah. make sure everything goes well, whereas he's the talent. So yeah. it, it's sort of like a 50-50. It's like, like if our researchers don't do the research, 
the show won't be as good. So it, it's sort of like a 50 50 thing, but like in diff- two different avenues or two different spheres touching each other. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, John, how about you? What did you think of Phil's character and where do you kind of rank him against other unlikable movie protagonists? I mean, he re- he redeemed himself, so he did go through that kind of transformation arc, which is you know that's good. Um, it kind of reminded me a bit of like a reverse um, picture of Dorian Gray in a way, in the sense that you know instead of turning into a monster, he developed from being one, and then kind of went down that good maturation thing. Um, so I don't know, he 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 wasn't like he was a bit of a prick and he was a narcissist, but. He didn't do. He didn't kind of do anything super bad until he knew he could get away with it. Like he still had a bit of a, a kind of barrier of like, okay, I do need to be respectable. But as soon as that was gone, then the real him came out. So it was almost like, okay, without society, he he goes kind of rogue for a bit, um, and then that's kind of pulled back. So I, d- I don't know. In, yeah, I suppose it's he's uh, restrained. I suppose. But did he do everything nice just to show off for his girl at the end? Like, just to get to that perfect reunion of think, everything? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think he started off on that way, because he went down that kind of cynical path, didn't he, of doing all the, um, you know, I'm going to learn this and learn that in order to impress you, and I'm going to be almost like a perfect stalker. Um, but then, I mean, um, here we go, I'm pretentious here, but this basically goes back to, like, a, a thing Aristotle talks about, which is the idea of, Happiness isn't, um, you know, done through, uh, you know, doing crap things, doing like, you know, pastimes, amusements, things like that. He says that it comes from doing virtuous activities. And I think there's a point where he realizes that actually doing good for people is what makes him happy. Um, and so yeah. as soon as he starts, stops trying to impress other people and kind of works on his own self-improvement, that's when, you know, he stops being a, a, a narcissist, basically, and a you know, bad person. Yeah, I, I I had this similar idea that you can only go so far doing things you want to do when it starts to become kind of hollow. So, yeah. like, he he sort of ran that out of his system, and he was left with nothing. Like he talking about psychological damage, he could just as well just kept on going through the motions of like eating. Two, uh, 12 stacks of, of flapjacks or, or, or trying to race to see how close he could get to the train before he could get off the, uh, off the track type of thing. But in, in the end, that's sort of empty. So he figures out that helping others is something that can make himself happy and, there's really no end to what you can do for other people. So the, it doesn't, it, it's more of a, it makes you feel better and it's not a, a high that's going to run out on you because it's, it's, there's always more things, but like if you're getting a high from like being able to bench what 400 pounds, that's good. But eventually what does that do do for you? Except I don't know, maybe get some problems if you're using testosterone to to get that. But uh, yeah, so it's it makes sense 
the order of which he did. And I think it's probably going along the order of the, uh, what is it? The seven steps of, of, of grief type of thing that in the end it's like, except he got to the acceptance after he found out that he couldn't kill himself and all that other stuff was, was not, not helping him at all that he got the acceptance and decided to help other people more than he was helping himself. Yeah, it's interesting. I picked up on that as the the five stages of grief that you're referring to. I picked up on that myself. And I think that's that's a lot of, I think, what I was talking about when I said the different emotion that Phil, Phil feels on different days is captured so well. It's really the emotions that match going through those stages of grief. Um, and I guess maybe he was grieving for what he used to be, and that's what he needed to do to transition into who he was becoming. You know, I'm not really sure, but I don't know. I had a lot of problems with the things Phil was doing, uh, and I felt eh, kind of like he really wasn't doing this to become a better person. He was doing this to escape where he was. But you know, that's just that's my take on it. But um, it's 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 like playing a video game. It's they're real people, but they'll be back the same thing tomorrow morning, and none of this is so. That's why he sort of sort of saw them as objects at first and then eventually decided, oh, yeah, they are people and maybe I shouldn't do what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like Westworld, where they're they're viewing the the androids. Do you view them as people and treat them as such or do you view them as machines and treat them as such? So and a lot less shooting in this case. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right, so let's go. We're up against an ad here in just a minute. But before we do that, real quickly, I want to go around the table and ask each of you, and I'll start with John. If you were Phil, what would you do on that first day that you realized there would be no consequence? Um, <laughs> I don't know is the answer to that. I, I think it would be a bit of a, um, I don't know, taking stock, kind of trying to work out what I can do, how far I can get. You know, is the time warp thing only in a certain area you know i'd want to find out those things yeah. um and then i don't know because as i say i'm a bit of a book nerd i would probably go right i can i can go and catch up on the, my to be red pile you know get through that first maybe learn some languages you know um yeah. i think that that'd be the that'd be the thing maybe get really good on guitar instead of uh mediocre so yeah yeah, you could spend every day in a bookstore and read all the books in the bookstore if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, although it, it should have the um, Twilight Zone moment where my, uh, you know, my eyes fall out or something. So. Yeah, you sit on your glasses. But <laughs> yeah. the next morning they'll be back as perfect, so it, it's not really that much of a problem. Ah, yeah, good thinking. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Peter, what about you? What would you do on that first day that you knew there would be no consequences? Poss- probably exactly the same that Phil did. I don't know. It, it it depends on if it was a 10,000 day loop, pretty much anything we came up with would be something we'd likely try mm. given, given the circumstance, but I'm possibly try to get out of town, but like, like it, the roads are closed. You can't get out. So I don't know. Well, let me kind of rephrase the question a little bit, because John mentioned that he would uh, spend more time playing guitar uh, to become better, uh, become good at it instead of mediocre, as he said. Is there something that you would focus on? Is there, you know, 
Do you want to be a mu- you're already a musician? Would you focus on being a better musician? Would you focus on being an athlete? Would you focus on being wh- what is it? Maybe getting to be a better musician, but like again with with the class glasses resetting, trying to get in shape on in a single day isn't really a thing unless unless you add in like Wolverine's powers of regeneration, in which case you could probably get ripped in like six hours. But uh, yeah, prob- could, you become an, could you become an athlete in this world? That's the thing. Could you could you build your body up and then because it, it seems that it, you know he pigs out and does stuff like that and it seems like his body resets. So you know if yeah. you were to do things like that or write a novel or you know all those kind of things, it'd it'd just reset the next day. So yeah, but that's what I mean. Like with Wolverine's uh, body healing factor, you could get it, but that would take your whole day and you'd be reset the next day because like yeah. basically when you build muscle, you rip the, the muscle strands and it heals over time. That's why it gets achy and that's why it gets bigger. So if, if any damage you get to yourself, you, you automatically heal it. it it's like, but then again, it'll reset the, at the start of the day and that kid's not, no one's going to be there to catch that kid. If I'm, I'm blasting my quads, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it it is interesting though because the 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 movie plays kind of fast and loose with those rules because if you're going to become a, a master pianist, you that's muscle memory. That's something that should reset every day as well. So I, you know, kind of playing fast and loose with the rules. But uh, Laura, uh, Alice, if there was anything that you could do for that day, what what would it be? What what's the project that you would want Alice to be working on? Oh my god. <laughs> um, well, well, actually, actually, first I wanted to say about muscle memory, because someone was, was saying that online, they're like, well, muscle memory is still in your brain, so he would still have it in a sense. I think piano, you have to know kind of, you know, where your fingers go and things become more natural. Um, I mean, for me, I think I would be so nervous about when it would all end, you know, when would the consequences start, I guess, if, if you kind of subscribe to the online uh, theory of well, it was like a predetermined, you know, 10,000 days. It was a predetermined, like, even if he hadn't gotten the girl, it's, he'd still be out of the loop. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. What um, if it was the day that he's robbed the bank that didn't reset? Right, yeah. If you knew, if you knew for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Find some, I would have a lot of weddings. Uh, <laughs> I'll be very quick falling in love, period. But uh, and not a very big wedding, but I was like, you know, a lot of weddings. Um, I don't know, travel, and then what I would end up back where I was, maybe. But I, I guess something that I, I was thinking about earlier today was that I'm, this is so depressing. We're all kind of in in that loop, in a sense, too. I mean, I wake up to the same, you know, song every every morning, brush my teeth, get dressed, go to work. You know, yes, we all have free will. So did he in this. He could have done anything. He could have avoided people. He could have you know, whatever. But I mean, I know that I, I come in, I catch my boss's eye in the hallway at work, and she says, "Good morning." You know, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. You know, just autopilot. You know, it's Monday. You know, how was your weekend? Good. How was yours? Good. You know, you you have those same conversations daily, anyways. So in a sense, we're all kind of in this in this loop. We're all having this sort of Groundhog Day, even with the free will that we have to just, you know, go do something 
obviously have consequences, but we still have those same conversations. Mm. Yeah, you're we're, right. It, it, we're it really yeah, it is kind of depressing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is, I know, but... <laughs> Boy, That's why the holiday is so good. Way to lighten it up right before we get a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, but hopefully you guys can fly away, go on vacation. You don't have to have those conversations. And here's a here's a word from our sponsor to make you feel so much more happy. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors that will again hopefully make you feel happy. Have you ever been reading through a stack of comics and thought? Maybe I should see what the Sarkham Asylum game is all about. Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half the characters were. Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode we take a look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Alright, and we're back. All right, we're going to take a, a time to play a little game now. We're going to play a little bit of Groundhog Day trivia game. Now, before this show, uh, we were talking a little bit, and, and John was surprised to find out that Groundhog Day was actually a thing here. John, is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I suppose it's like King Arthur Day over here or something like that. I suppose it's one of those things. King what you... day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like King Arthur Day, Bonfire Night, Boxing Day, you know, all those kind of traditional... British festivals, I don't think you have to use. Um, well, well, Boxing Day, day is in Canada. No. <laughs> no, it's well, the day after Christmas. Oh, right. So, so you get to punch your family. No, no. But now it is pretty much, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> Christmas hangover. So now I got to imagine King Arthur Day being similar to Groundhog Day. Somebody, if you pull the sword out of the stone, you get six more weeks of winter. Is that how that works? <laughs> or... I mean, wow. I made that one up, but, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, stupid Americans and, and one Canadian. We'll, we'll just go along with it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All but, right. Yeah. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to play this game. I'll ask the question, and then I'll ask each of you to pick one of the three answers. The person, uh, if somebody picks an answer, you can't have it, so that somebody will always get a correct answer, but only one person. And we'll take turns uh, as to who goes first. Uh, John, we'll start with you. The tradition of Groundhog's Day comes from what ancient Christian celebration? Your choices are A, the Feast of Lupercalia, B, Vallisblot, or C, Candlemas. Ooh, well, um, what was the middle one? I like the sound of that word. Uh, the middle one is Vallisblot. Yeah, so it sounds very Nordic. It sounds like there's going to be a dragon arriving any moment. So, yeah. Yes, we have a lot of things with the Vallisblot here in Oslo. It's, it's a very nice festival. Six more weeks of dragons, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Alice, what about you? Your remaining choices: A, the Feast of Lupercalia, or C, Candlemas? My heart is with A for some reason. I don't know why. All right, so Peter, you have one choice left is Candlemas. You going to go Which with that? Which is what I was going to pick anyway, so. That's good, because that is the right answer. <laughs> Peter's hey. on the board with one point. All right, question number two. We'll start with Alice, and that is in 1981. Punxsutawney Phil wore something special. What was it? A, an American flag, B, a yellow ribbon, or C, a Pittsburgh Pirates hat? Oh, I bet it's the hat. Oh, my God, I hope it's that. 
<laughs> All right, so C, a Pittsburgh Pirates hat. Peter, you're up next. You're left with A, an American flag, or B, a yellow ribbon. Tie yellow ribbon round the <laughs> groundhog. <laughs> All right. And so, John, that leaves you with A, an American flag. How are you feeling about that answer? Um, I, I, I'm wishing for the pirate hat. Come on, Alice, you can do it. <laughs> oh, my God, that groundhog was so cute. I want one. <laughs> All right. Well, the correct answer is, in fact, B, a yellow ribbon. Uh, at the time, we had, America had several hostages being held in Iran. Oh, um, yeah. And the yellow ribbon was a very popular sign for support of the hostages. Uh, all right, so that I, is, I promise I didn't have a, have the list of the questions beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, political views on the groundhog. I don't know why that is the funniest thing. The groundhog supports the hostages. Is the is the funniest sentence. <laughs> all right, I think we got the uh, the subtitle for this episode. Uh, all right question number three this one we're going to start with peter who was the first american president to meet punxsutawney phil your choices are a jimmy carter b ronald reagan or c george herbert walker bush so the older of the two bush presidents i was going to go with ike but uh well just so i could use a voice i will go with ronnie all right, you're going to take B, Ronald Reagan, and that takes us to John. Your choices remaining are A, Jimmy Carter, or C, George H.W. Bush. So how old is this groundhog? I mean, jeez. Uh, <laughs> I have to say uh, George Bush. Yeah. Classic. All right. And so, Alice, that leaves you with Jimmy Carter. How do you feel about that? Uh, no. <laughs> well, the correct answer is, in fact, B, Ronald Reagan. Peter is just lighting <laughs> up. <laughs> They won't let me on Jeopardy because I'm a Canadian, so this is uh, I'll have to settle for this. Did you get all three? Yep. He has. Now, in fairness, oh the God. first one, he got just what was left. So yeah, yeah, that one still, wasn't really. Lucky. But, but yeah, he's uh, kicking butt and taking names. Arse. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So question number four, we'll go back to John. We're doing six of these, so each person gets two chances to go twice. Second okay. time through, John. What is Punxsutawney Phil's actual full name? All right, these are kind of long. So you got A, Philip of Punxsutawney, predictor par excellence and prophet for the people. B, Punxsutawney Phil, weather wizard, diviner of climate conditions and master of prognostication. Or C, Punxsutawney Phil, there you go. Punxsutawney Phil. Seer of Seers, Sage of Sages, Prognosticator of Prognosticators, and Weather Prophet Extraordinary. Let's see. Let's go for that. All right. So you're going to go see the really long one. All right. So uh, now we'll go to Alice. You've got uh, Philip of Punxsutawney, Predictor Par Excellence, and Prophet for the People, or Punxsutawney Phil, Weather Wizard, Diviner of Climate Conditions, and Master of Prognostication. Hey, B sounds really fake. Okay. <laughs> so, Peter, you're left with B. How do you feel about that? I wanted C. Uh, well, that would have been the correct answer. So John's yeah. on the board. Uh, and they do, they say it in the movie, actually. Yeah. They, yeah, they yeah. get oh. it right. Uh, that it, it, he's called Seer of Seers, Sage of Sages, Prognosticator of Prognosticators, and Weather Prophet Extraordinaire. Uh, now, he was given that name. You, John, you mentioned about how old is he during the last question. 
Uh, he was given that name in 1886 by the Punk newspaper. <laughs> the same groundhog, Phil, has been around for 140-some years now. Or I really want to know what happened to the one from the movie. I don't know if he's... <laughs> it's been well, years. It's interesting. There was some trivia about that. Like, he bit... Uh, yeah. Bill Murray twice. The one yeah, about yeah. the don't drive angry. He was trying yeah. to get away from him and bit him at, like almost immediately after that yeah. line, causing yeah. Bill Murray to get stitches and rabies shots. Uh, and there was a whole family of groundhogs that were raised specifically for this. So I like how they call it anti, saw, yeah. <laughs> they yeah, call it every- anti rabies shot. Obviously, anti rabies. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. But yeah. yeah. All right. So. Back to the game. Question number five. We're starting with Alice. During Prohibition, Punxsutawney Phil threatened which of these would happen if he wasn't allowed to have a drink. So here you go. Punxsutawney Phil getting more political. Either Mm -hmm. A, he would subject us to 60 weeks of winter. B, he would stay inside his burrow until the law was repealed. Or C, he would move to Canada. A. I was was, going to say he... He wouldn't give women the right to vote, but maybe. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Peter, you're left with he would stay inside his burrow until the law was repealed or he would move to Canada. I'll tell you, but uh, as soon as we know what the answer is, I'll give it to you. So he uh, he stayed home and wouldn't work until it was repealed. Okay. He was going to stay in his burrow. So that leaves John with he would move to Canada. How do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. <laughs> are you familiar with what prohibition was in the united states yeah it sounds terrible yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely Did canada ever have one like that no because here is where al capone got all his supply they uh oh. they they, they uh, shipped it in from canada secretly and you got oh. hockey you need beer so yeah <laughs> All right. Well, the correct answer is, in fact, he would subject us to 60 more weeks of winter. So Alice is also on the board. Woo-hoo! All right. We've got one last one, and we're going to start with Peter. What percentage of the time does Punxsutawney Phil predict an early spring? Your choices are A, 16% of the time, B, 36% of the time, or C, 56% of the time? Say 56% of the time. All right, you're going with 56% of the time. John, you're left with A, 16%, or B, 36%. Uh, B. <laughs> All right, you're going to go with B. Alice, you're left with 16%, and how do you feel about it? I'm still trying to remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> what percentage of the time does Punxsutawney Phil predict an early spring? Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> so, if he sees his shadow, it's six more weeks of winter. If he doesn't, it's an early spring, so... You're left with 16%, and that is actually the correct answer. Uh, Of 122 recorded predictions for Punxsutawney Phil, he's only predicted an early spring 20 times. So, Oh, boy. All right. So that wraps it up. Peter, congratulations. You win and get the bragging rights. Yay. I thought we were going to get a T-shirt. No. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, and a case of turtle wings, but... Oh, all right, so now, I don't <laughs> have a turtle. Can I just, can I just ask like a, like a logistical question about that from seeing that ceremony in the mm-hmm. in the movie? And it looks like Puxatani Phil, like, whispered in the mayor's ear. I mean, not literally, but looked like he whispered in the mayor's ear. Is that how it is, or do they look at, like, 
person sees the shadow, I guess. Sees the groundhog shadow, I guess. I, I was just confused. I was like, is that really? Is do they, they, they do a ceremonial, you know, whispering in the ear. Yeah, I, they, I don't know if they have it decided ahead of time or it's they hold him up and if they see his shadow, then right. that's what they go with. But it's definitely a lot of theater around it. I mean, yeah. the, the actual act of Phil seeing or not seeing his shadow is about eight seconds long. And the whole rest of the day and the parade and everything around it uh, basically comes from, you know, is the rest of what makes Groundhog Day in Punxsutawney. Uh, We were discussing during the show when we were talking about was this actually real or not. So far, Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and Stephen Toblowski, who played Ned Ryerson, uh, how did we go this whole podcast without talking about Ned Ryerson? Oh my god! Bing, <laughs> Bing. yeah, we had him in there in the uh, in the movie guy spot. But uh, yeah, so they've all done the grand. They've all been the grand marshal of the parade <laughs> since this movie's been made. And in the scene where uh, Ned Ryerson first runs into Phil, he's talking about how he did the whistling belly button act at uh, the high school talent show. Apparently, that is an actual talent that Steven Zablowski possesses, and he performed it on stage during his speech as the Grand Marshal of the Punxsutawney Phil Parade. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah, a little bit of real-world crossover to the movie. All right, so now we're going to move on to our rating section. And if this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, we rate all of our movies on a scale of $0 to $10 and ask you, how much would you pay to see this movie in a theater today? Uh, John, why don't we start with you? Tell us, what did you think of the movie, and how much would you pay to see this movie in a theater today? Yeah, um, I mean, as, as I say, when I watched it, I thought it was a lot of fun. I think the main issue I did have with the film overall was the fact that he, it was such a big leap from him being you know, in this suicidal state right up until the thing of, okay, I'm going to start helping people. And it, that seemed a bit quick to me. I would have liked a moment where it was like a revelation moment, you know, where he kind of realizes that, oh dear, you know, like that that kind of moment you usually get around the midpoint of a movie where it's like, Ugh, penny drops and, you know, it all, it all kind of has to flip there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was really entertaining. I thought that the the plot itself was actually quite simplistic. I think you had the the concept, you know, the high concept thing. I think you almost have to have a simplistic plot to kind of counteract the weird high concept thing that you have to get your head around. So there was nothing in terms of subplots or anything like that. It was just a simple uh, one arc thing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was fun. That's the main thing. I enjoyed myself. There were some moments where I laughed out loud. So just because I'm British, I'm going to go five pound thirty six. So that's roughly uh, convert exchange. that. No, yeah, convert that seven dollars. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, Peter, what about you? Nine dollars. Nine dollars. Why nine dollars? Because this is probably one of the movies that I would like to go see in a big the- in a theater. It's just one of my favorite movies. So, like right. when I he- when I heard that we were going to do it, I was a ri- I was one of the first ones. I thought, I think that said, "Me, I want it. Yeah. I want it. I want it." <laughs> so. Yeah, you were, you were definitely first to comment what I posted. All right, and Alice, what did you think of the movie, and how much would you pay to see this movie in a theater today? 
Yeah, I mean, I believe that it's it's a classic. It should be a classic. The story's great. The concept's great. Um, but I, I do think that the character arc isn't necessarily there. I would I would say the casting was pretty good. I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's tough because I know that they were going to cast, for example, or we're thinking of Tom Hanks, but said, oh, he's too nice. And some other comedians that, you know, they, they would just be too nice from the beginning. Um, but I didn't really see that range in, in Bill Murray. Um, and then just the way that the, the character is written in that arc. So I would say, I mean, it's not just average, but I would give it, let's say, $6 for a movie ticket. All right, $6. Yeah, I'm pretty close to that. The this was I saw this movie in the theater, I want to say opening weekend. Uh, it came out actually after February 2nd. It was right before Valentine's Day. Uh, and I believe I saw this in the movie theater as a double date, if I'm not mistaken. No. Uh, and it has been one of my favorite movies. And I was so excited when we came up with the idea to do this. Mm-hmm. This watching through, though, I noticed a lot of the cracks starting to show. And yeah. some of them bothered me. The thing that really got me, I think, was I watched this movie alone. And it's probably the 12th time I've seen this movie, at mm. least. And watching it alone, you don't tend to laugh out loud as much because you've seen it. You know all the jokes that are coming. They're wonderfully executed. The movie is well shot, well acted, but it came off as kind of flat on this viewing. So. Yeah. But it's still an excellent movie. It's still above average. I'm going to give it $6.50. Uh, so we've got $6.50. We've got $9. We've got $6. And we've got £5.36. Is that the correct way to say that, John? Yeah. Yeah. Seven something. $7. Oh, are we going with the converted rate? Plus exchange. Current exchange rate. Going with that. Okay. All right. So we're going to give it seven dollars. So seven dollars, six fifty, nine dollars, and six dollars. Alice, what does that give us for an average? That's let's see, seven point one two five. So it's like seven dollars and what thirteen cents? Seven dollars. Like, yep. Round it up. Seven dollars yeah. and thirteen cents. And Peter, compared to the other movies uh, in the now you've seen it box office, where does that put? Groundhog Day. By the skin of its teeth, going past Alien, which was $7.12, it is number three in our list. All right. So that puts it right in the middle of the for January. So I think that's, uh, I think that sounds right to me that it's right in the middle. So, all right. So we're going to go ahead and close things up today. John, it has been an absolute delight having you on the show. Where can folks find you on the internet? Um, yeah, you can catch me on the Sci-Fi Roundtable podcast. I am a regular host on there. I also do When Wrestlers Act. Um, I also do a weekly author diary podcast, which is just John Cronshaw's author diary, very unknown's name. Uh, so it's just J-O-N-C-R-O-N-S-H-A-W. And then John Cronshaw on Amazon. I've got some fantasy books and post-apocalyptic books and sci-fi novels and things. So you can check those out if you are interested. Excellent. Thanks, John. And Alice, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, I had to specify. No. Uh, 
So, <laughs> so my Twitter is at Ali Mesh, A-L-I-M-E-Z-H. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Alice Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N. Um, make sure you message me so I know that you heard me here and you want to chat. Um, and I have other podcasts with Now You've Seen It coming up, one being a Patreon one. And I have just other, other podcasts coming up in general, and I'll let you know. Awesome. All right. And Peter, where can folks find you? Basically here every once in a while. I I do the, uh, as you put it, the trailer guy sections <laughs> on most most of the episodes. And uh, on 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 uh, Twitter, I'm Dahorns, D-A-H-O-U-R-N-S, because I wanted it to be Dahorns like the horn beings from the Lord of the Rings, but I can't spell good. So it's <laughs> spelt wrong. Uh, and, uh, Saturday nights, if you know the, the passwords, we, uh, play Cards Against Humanity non-publicly. So you need to know the right, 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 uh, knock on the right door and have the right password to get in. But yeah, so other than that, that's how you get to me. Or, and if you want to email, just email over Oracle Podcasts and, uh, I might respond. I don't know. I might be a little <laughs> bit aloof. <laughs> it depends on which loop which loop I am, how how responsive I'll be. So basically you're saying the next Patreon level, uh when we launch our Patreon very soon is going to be uh get to play cards against humanity with Peter on Saturday nights, right? Ooh. Yeah, eighteen ah. plus please. <laughs> Yes, definitely. I've been in one of those games a while ago. So, all right. So that pretty much does it for us. We ask folks to please subscribe, rate, and review. Now you've seen it. You can email us at oraclepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash now you've seen it without the apostrophe. Uh, check out this and other wonderful podcasts at oraclepodcast.com. Our theme music is performed by Eric Hunt. And thank you to our broadcasting partners at Age of Radio and Galactic Netcast. You can find out more about them at ageofradio.org and gncast.com. John, thanks again for joining us. It was a wonderful time. I hope you enjoyed the movie. Yeah, yeah. Same time tomorrow? Yes, yeah, same time tomorrow. As soon as the alarm goes off, you get to the mic and we're doing it again. Unless tomorrow becomes today. Exactly. <laughs> All right, folks, that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful week. Now You've Seen It is a production of Oracle Media Productions in association with Age of Radio and Galactic Netcasts. For more great podcasts, visit oraclepodcasts.com, ageofradio.org, and gncasts.com. <laughs>